Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 270. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Thank you for tuning in to Dose of Leadership. This is episode 270. It's hard to believe. Keep cranking them out. I'm so happy that you're tuning into the show. Tish Squalero is on the show today. We talk about head trash. Do you have head trash? I bet you do. I know I do. I deal with head trash on a daily basis. In fact, it's probably one of the the most common things that all of us share when we're talking about it. We become intentional about our leadership journey. We become acutely aware of all the head trash that we're dealing with. I mean, head trash is like normal trash. Everyone has it. Everyone's dealing with it. And Tish wrote a book a couple years ago with a co-author, Timothy Thomas, 2013, a book called Head Trash, which deals with that, the junk that's in between our ears that causes all the stress and and all the angst and the anxiety and prevents us, the fear, the uncertainty that prevents us from living the life we were called to lead. It is a daily struggle, daily battle dealing with head trash. It was a great book, very popular book, and they came out with a new book, Head Trash 2, and where Head Trash, the first one, dealt with kind of the internal, all of the anger, the arrogance, the control, the fear, the insecurity, the guilt, the paranoia that we all deal with, and gave that practical advice, Head Trash, the first one, how we could deal with that. Head Trash 2 is similar, but it focuses outward. And this is what I love about this book and this conversation, because one of the biggest questions or most numerous questions I get on this show from the listeners out there is how do you deal with that person who is anger, who's arrogant, who is paranoid, who is fearful, who isn't the, I mean, you can see it that they're dealing with a lot of head trash and a lot of our ineffective leaders, when you look at this kind of overcompensation or these extremes in behavior, you can almost guarantee you're dealing with somebody that's dealing with a lot of head trash. They don't know how to deal with it. So the question goes, okay, I can figure out how to deal with it with myself. What do I do if I'm in a situation where the people I'm surrounded by, the people I got to deal with on a daily basis, aren't as successful in dealing with it? And well, that's what this conversation is all about. And that's what head trash two is all about. And we focus about it on this conversation. It's chock full of practical advice, this conversation is. And I highly recommend that you go get the book Head Trash and Head Trash 2. I think they should be go-to items for you in your leadership journey because you have to be, or if you're going to be a successful transformative leader, you have to figure out what's going on in between your two years. And you need to be aware of what's going on with the people around you. And once you do, you exercise that EQ, that emotional quotient, which is so necessary for you to be that transformative leader. And that's why I think these books that uh, Tish has written with her partner, Timothy Thomas, um, is a, a go-to. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. You're really going to get a lot out of it. And uh, I really appreciate you tuning in. If you're finding some value in Dose of Leadership, again, standard fare, please support, support this show by subscribing and rating and review. It does so much for the visibility of the show. You can also financially support this show if you so desire. It is a free show, and I'm glad that this is a great free resource for you. But if you're inclined, if you want to, 
take the time to support the show financially, you can do so easily and donate at patreon.com. You can find the, the icon on the left-hand sidebar on the homepage or in the menu items. Um, and if you want to learn more about my uh, speaking, coaching, masterminding services, you can learn more and all of that at richardryerson.com, R-I-E-R-S-O-N. And you can go there and learn all of the services that I provide. You can also learn about my new venture, Verum Communications, where I do internal audio shows for large organizations that uh, um, have the challenge of dealing with communicating over large disparate areas. And you can learn all about that. So if you know any organization that's looking to do or disrupt their communication uh, strategy, um, I can do an internal podcast for them where the CEO gets a chance to communicate with his or her tribe in an authentic and transparent way, in a disruptive way that's never been done, pushed out to a branded mobile app. And again, you can find out more information at richardryerson.com or at verumcommunications.com. All right, thank you so much for tuning in. Without further ado, here's Tish Squilero talking about Head Trash 2, her brand new book on Dose of Leadership. Well, Tish, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. When I got the uh, request to have you come on the show and I, and I saw what Head Trash 2 was about, your brand new book, I said, oh my gosh, I've got to get you on the show because a lot of my guests write in and they, they, they talk about these exact same things. But, you know, and I was surprised to find out there was a Head Trash 1. So let's first, before we dive into Head Trash 2, let's talk about what is Head Trash in the first place and what prompted you to write uh, these series of books. Sure. And, you know, Head Trash is, the things that we witnessed, so I wrote the book with Tim Thomas, who's a consultant like myself, and we work with organizations and individuals, growing businesses, managing others, and there was this constant struggle when people had to make decisions. And what we started to realize is that emotion, which is something all of us have, so it's very common, were always the center of the problem. And as we dug deeper, there were seven emotions that were the center of the problem. And so we decided with this revelation, I bet people don't even realize that they can manage through better decision-making and be stronger, more effective leaders if they just recognize that their emotions are the things getting in their way, they'll probably feel better and do better. So that's what caused us to start writing Head Trash. It's those emotional barriers that get people stuck. And Head Trash 1 focuses on really defining what is Head Trash and what are those seven. So let me walk you through what the seven are, and you'll see that they're very common everyday emotions. It's things like fear and insecurity, control and arrogance, anger, guilt, and paranoia. And if you think about it, you probably have a series of those emotions happen in one day. Yeah. But what you don't think about is how strong they become, where they actually cloud your judgment. And so that's what the first book talks about. Is how do these everyday emotions creep up? step inside our head, become voices in our mind to stop us from doing stuff. And then we have to deal with what the outcomes are that head trash brings. And so through the first book, we help you understand which of the seven are the ones that are my coping. How do they impact me? How do I manage away from that? And we really get people comfortable that you're not going to re create a new emotion because these emotions are things we feel, touch, and have to have. And how do you manage them by using replacement emotions that aren't so severe to you? And that's what the first book talks about. It's very you-focused. Head Trash 2, three years later, comes out because we got a lot of feedback about people figuring out, well, how do I deal with somebody else's trash? Right. I understand where mine are, but 
but I work with people. I live with someone who's got those emotions. What do I do then? Yeah. And so that's what book two actually focuses on, the same seven. But now we're taking it the perspective of giving you examples of what it can look like in a relationship, on the job, in family, and how do you work through, A, identifying it, allowing that person to know that that's a blind spot for them and what it's causing, and to give some solutions that might benefit the situation. So that's what Head Trash 2 focuses on. Well, I love that. And I think you know, one thing that I found that has been extremely, um, I don't know, freeing, and maybe you covered this in your fir- in your first book, but... I think when whenever you get to the point, particularly as a, as a leader, that we all deal, no matter what level of success or significance we have achieved, that we deal with head trash on a daily basis. I mean, it's everybody, right? I mean, I think once you realize that, it's almost like a freeing, a freeing um, notion because it seems like we spend an inordinate amount of time thinking that there's something wrong with us because we have head trash, but everybody has it, right? Is that is that a fair assessment? And it's the reason we call it head trash. It does make you laugh a little bit, right? <laughs> right? It does make you feel like, oh, my God, it's not clinical. It's not a disease. Right. It's actually humorous. And both the books are written with a sense of humor. And not a humor that takes away the severity or the importance, but a sense of humor to say, hey, we're all human. We're all going to have this. We've all been witnesses and, and culprits of it. So we're in good company, but we still want to make sure we're not doing it to our disadvantage. So it is written very much friendly and not anything to make someone feel badly about themselves. Because in all coaching, confidence and self-confidence are the things that drive people to succeed. So Head Trash is not written to make people feel badly about themselves. It's actually the reverse. Yeah, It's to make you take a look at yourself and go, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. And hey, there's a solution out there that actually is simple. I don't have to go buy something. I don't need to take medication. I just have to be a little bit more self-aware. Right. And I think understanding that they are normal emotions and that, that, like you said, just because, you know, you do feel, it's normal to feel afraid when you're about to stand in front of a bunch of people and give a presentation, right? I mean, it's normal to want to be in control of, of um, life situations. Something very important. Yeah. Yeah. Something very important if you don't have your hands on it. But, you know, there's, there's examples of where it becomes too much. Right. Right. So for fear of presenting, and it's a perfect example, and you decide never to do it, well, isn't that a shame? Exactly. You have to be able to manage yourself to say, you know what, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to do a short presentation versus a two-hour presentation, and I'm not going to do it alone. I'll have a co-partner. At least you do it. So what the books take you through is we're not asking you that you shouldn't be afraid. Or you shouldn't have some guilt about doing something. But how do we get you comfortable to say, well, listen, if I do it one by one step at a time, I actually can get through this. Or it's not as bad as I thought. Or this, this, this thing that's been scaring me when I break it down into little bite-sized pieces, it's not so big. And that's really what Head Trash 1 and 2 take you through. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, when you... You know, it's important as leaders when you have that self-awareness, which is what really sounds like what Head Trash 1 is all about, that self-awareness of how is this affecting me and like, okay, I can deal with this. Now, and, and I love how what the premise of Head Trash 2 is when we step it up our, our leadership game into that transformational leadership space, we, you're not going to get there unless you have that emotional quotient of understanding what that other person is going through. So if when and I and I know this from personal experience, when I stopped 
when I became more self-aware and then I started realizing why is this person being an arrogant jerk? Why is this person so insecure? You start to realize that because we in the beginning, I think we always think it's about us, that we're doing something wrong that's making them arrogant or insecure or paranoid or whatever the case may be. But it's reality. They're dealing with a lot of head trash. And when you are aware of that, you can deal with the situation more effectively, right? And you stop taking it personally. Exactly. I think that's personally. the number one mm-hmm. thing that people uh, have challenges with another is when they feel that they're a victim to someone else's bad behavior. Right. Many times people having these emotional challenges haven't even been aware that, that they are actually doing this to somebody. Exactly. They're so not, those yeah. are the areas that I think it also brings about is for people to recognize that, you know what, I want to help that person get through this because as a leader... I'm supposed to make my folks with me, or as a couple in a marriage or in family, I want to help people better themselves, not knock them when they're down. Right. Well, let's talk about the one that I seem and I, I get the most questions about, and the ones that I've struggled with probably the most when I think about my military and professional career is how do you deal with that type A arrogant jerk? How do you deal with it? Maybe, well, let's talk about how do you deal with it in yourself and become aware of it. And then how do you deal with it if you're in a situation maybe at, at work or at home or an environment where you're dealing with someone full of arrogance? So arrogance is the fine line between confidence and being secure. Right. And then being the person that has the only voice in the room. So first is to figure out what is it? Is it that they're overly confident and they need to tell you that? Or is it they're actually insecure right. and they need to tell themselves that? So the first is to try to figure out a little bit, okay, what is the problem here with this person? Because it's obviously uh, sending a bad message. That's one. Once you've figured it out, then you can put a plan together of how you might want to help them. First is to make them self-aware. Odds are they're not even aware that they're doing it. And if they are aware and they're purposely doing it, you might not be able to help them anyway. Right. Because you have to keep in mind that people who want and accept help, only do it if they're willing to accept help, right? So if you've got someone who openly says, well, I don't really care what you think, you know, we're going to have a harder time to convince them that they should. So there will be cases like that. But the first is to let people know that they're actually acting that way. You would be surprised that they think they're actually doing good. I mean, I have a particular client where arrogance is definitely a challenge for that person. And I have to remind them that though they are pretty darn smart and they are very capable, you don't have to constantly throw that at everybody in the room. Let them ask you questions to want to utilize you instead of feeling like they must use you. Just by sitting back and not speaking up first and offering to be helpful is better than telling people you'll be helpful. So sometimes it's just how they use their abilities because many times, People who are very confident probably have something to be confident about. And it makes it that much harder to prove to that person they shouldn't be saying that because they're right using what they're saying. It's how they're saying. So that's one way to get people to recognize that the ultimate outcome that you're trying to achieve, which is for them to take your information and use it, you're actually losing because of how you're delivering it. With folks who are arrogant, it's actually making them aware of how little impact they're having in a good way by how they're behaving. And what? Yeah, I, I love how you said that. But what? What do we say to them? I mean, it's I can't think anything more challenging than than to counsel some know-it-all, you know, who doesn't want to hear what you have to say. 
my approach is always questions. So an example would be, hey, do you want to be in on this meeting? Or would you like them to use your approach? And they'll say, of course I do. I think it's best. Well, do you think it's going to be that effective by slamming it on them? Or would you prefer to have them want to do it? Because maybe the best way to get people to do that is to convince them and not to tell them. It's getting them to change their approach. Yeah. It's getting them to realize that their abruptness is causing distraction. That in a social setting, you know, we have a, a situation in a social setting where there's only one that says, yeah, check, please, and maybe the other half of the table wants and half dessert. So I actually had an example of this happen where I said, well, hold on a second. We could get the check. But I don't know, I was interested in having dessert. Would anyone else like something? And that immediately changed the room, and people started to order. And that person said, oh, you know what, I thought we were all done. So again, I think it's by raising out what they're doing with a question, it does diffuse the, the, the ability of having controversy, because arrogant people are waiting for a fight. Yeah, they so want, if you diffuse yeah. the fight and make it more of a Q&A or a discussion, it's harder for them to come back. Yeah, that's a good insight. You're absolutely right. And that and I think that's why it's so challenging to to counsel or work with someone who's arrogant because it's so easy to take the bait of a fight, right? Because that's what they want or that's what they, that's what they think that's what what it's all about. And um once you get in the debate mode well, they, it, Yeah, ahead. they're usually so resilient that they know if it's going to be Who's going to make it through the end? They have faith in themselves to make it through the end. Right. So what we want to do is not make it into that because it's not about win or lose. It's really about collaborating. Right. And I think somehow if you can if you can get them to understand the power of humility. I mean, I know I think about in cases where I've dealt with with people who've been arrogant, and just reminding them that when you're braggadocious, you're actually speaking volumes about your insecurity, you know? And I think a lot of times they don't see it. You know, why, why do you feel the need? And I agree with you. Asking questions is good. Why do you feel the need to share everybody, you know, let, let your confidence in your actions speak for themselves. Cause truly confident people don't ever brag about their accomplishments ever from what I've seen. True. They don't cause they don't have to, cause they don't need to remind everyone or themselves how strong or good they are. It's yeah. really for themselves. So that's why, to me, out of, you know, the best solution with someone arrogant is to diffuse the argumentative approach, because that's what they're looking for, and go to more of an inquisitive question or discussion. Yeah. It does change the room for a minute and allows you to get them to be aware. Yeah. Yeah, I think back to times when I was a, in my flying days as a professional pilot, that was people hated flying with arrogant captains, right? And it was so difficult and it's very dangerous to have a one-sided arrogant captain in any situation, but it's particularly in a flying situation, right? Because that's where people literally fly themselves in the ground because they're afraid to speak up. And I think dealing with questions, my point is, is that asking questions was a great way to diffuse it. Hey, sir, are you ready for the gear now? You know, and they're not, they're putting, you ready for this? You know, and just asking questions. And uh, I love that. I love that tact of diffusing the situation with a question. I also think anytime you have a situation where it becomes tense, yeah. questions, if not done uh, in a very patronizing way, could relieve the stress for the moment to get you back on track. So not only just with arrogance, but even as a mediator, if you notice, when there's mediation between two arguing sides, 
questions are how you bring them back together. So that's exactly the way I think working with someone in an arrogant, head trash state could at least level up to have a discussion. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What about in that same kind of vein, control? You got to someone that's in control that always wants to, to, to be the one in charge in, in every single way. It's their way or the highway. It's their agenda. It's all about having control. And uh, I've always had I've I've had some debates even on the show with people thinking, well, as a leader, it's all about being in control. And I'm like, ah, don't necessarily think that's right. Well, it is about yeah, but it is about being in control, in but control. not controlling. Controlling, yeah, that's yeah. a great way to put it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Always being in control. You're right. Controlling in control of your emotions, control of the situation. But yeah, the difference between you know where is that line where someone where being in control and then you start being controlling? What are we what are we looking for there? When does it start to become dysfunctional? Well, it's dysfunctional when there is very little delegation. Mm-hmm. Others are not really allowed to do stuff. Or you start to see that there's bottlenecks in process because one person has to sign everything. Right. Or you start to witness that people have little pieces of information, but no one's got all the information. And then again, that's a form of control because only one person knows everything and that usually is the controlling person. Right. And it, it, it's very common in uh, business because there is that, that slight, subtle difference between being in control and being controlling. You do have to have some sort of control over what's happening. But that's information. You want to have information. You want to know, um, you know uh, things that are happening both future and past. You want to make sure you've measured the the the, uh, the ability for risk, but that's all about information. It's if you're not allowing people though to perform, that's where controlling steps in. So yeah. it's really trying to define what is that person doing, because I don't think having no control is good. I just think that if it's so stifling that there's only one person doing everything, or no one's thinking anymore, and you find people more robotic. Well, you've started to lose that ability to have performance and you have like a one man show going on, which is not scalable. Yeah. And I've seen it's that's what makes the kind of control or the controlling kind of um, persona be it can be very subtle because I've I've seen managers and people who think they're with all the best intentions in the world. And they may even seem or come across as that they're being empowering or they're delegating. But they're really not, you know. It's almost like they're they're subtly micromanaging. Does that make sense? It's like I, I've seen that a few times in the in the corporate setting, where you got somebody who's um, a control freak, but they don't really know that they're controlling. You know what I mean? They say they're delegating, but it's almost like they're passive aggressive. Does that make sense? It does, because in their mind, they've convinced themselves that without them, this won't get done. Exactly. Or I'm protecting everybody. I'll make sure they're safe. Well, I know all the answers. Why would I put them through extra work if I know all the answers? And the key is to remind them, well, if you want to be the only one with all the answers and be busy 24-7 and things will start to slip, is that what you want? Aren't you going to be mentally and physically exhausted being the one person that does it all? Right. You've got to start to groom people to take on some of the responsibility. So one of the keys is you don't give away the kingdom and just delegate everything. You start to think about delegating small things. And I have uh, created in our book a, a, a test of Tupperware or China. 
you start to look at things as either Tupperware or China. And what we mean by that is if you drop Tupperware on the floor, it doesn't shatter, and you probably can still use it, and it'll be fine. But if you drop China, it will shatter. So as you look at all the things that you need to delegate, the things you want to share with others to start to do, label them as Tupperware or China. If it's China, we're not about to have you get that stress to give it out, because if it shatters, it could be detrimental. But if it's Tupperware, and it's something which if it's scented or it's not done perfectly or it has, you know, the cover a little loose, it's still going to work, and that's okay. Because for a controlling person, they need to start to feel comfort that when they give someone else something to do, it's okay. Right. It works. It'll be fine. And it's those baby steps of having them use things that are not China to start with that we don't hurt the company or the relationship or or the family situation, so it's not going to be so critical. But it still gets them to start to unleash and allow others to have, you know, an opportunity to perform. I love that. I, I can imagine, though, especially in the beginning, if you got a real control freak, they're going to think everything's China instead of nothing's Tupperware. I'd imagine. When you got to work through Absolutely. that. Absolutely, and it's, it's, you got to work them through that. It's really saying, okay, so then if you are the only person to do this. Um, tell me why. What what could someone else not do? It's, again, asking some questions for them to get past the, well, I'll do it the best. Well, you might do it the best. So no one's saying that you won't do the best. But is it possible that Mary or Joe can actually still do it, just not the best, but good enough? Right. The second thing is to get comfortable with good enough, right? When is good enough good? And you really have to start thinking about good enough as being something that you can accept because not everything could be perfect. Because if we waited for perfect, we wouldn't perform. Yeah, you're absolutely right. How do you, what is the advice? Because I can see controlling in so many avenues. I've seen the person who, the manager who didn't share any information. They not, like, I think you talk about it in your book as a, a knowledge hoarder. You know, they keep everything to their chest. The, the buy the book manager drives me crazy. That's a big pet peeve of mine. Um, Someone that comes in and said, well, this is how we've always done it here. You know, the people that have been there, especially when I've come into a new position and I've, and I've had to deal with these legacy employees that have been there 20, 25 years and they're very resistant, you know, to new ideas. So there's all kinds of controlling I see. That, to me, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in, in, in my corporate experience has been that. And um, so what, if we're in the middle and we see that, what do we do? I mean, how can we, if we got a boss in particular that's controlling, how can we make that boss successful? What can we do without overtly telling them, quit being a control freak? Well, one is making them aware that you are feeling like you have nothing to do. No one wants to hire someone and give them absolutely nothing to do because it then starts to question, what do I have you? So I do think it's bringing out some of the obvious pieces of the puzzle which a controlled person is usually mirrored in details and so busy that they don't notice. So it's making them more aware that you hired me to do X, Y, Z. I don't get the opportunity to do that. Is there something I'm not doing that's making you uncomfortable? They may say, no, 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 you're actually doing everything fine. I, I didn't realize. Say then, let's start with one. Let me do one where mm -hmm. I could take full control. And that's where you begin the dialogue of, again, making them aware that this controlling thing that they're doing is causing people around them to stop thinking and, ha and not performing. The other is just having them get comfortable with trusting someone else or going through change. And, you know, those could be um, results of some other thing. 
by people who are afraid of change could be insecure or paranoid. So I'm not necessarily always sure if it's just control, but if it's control because they like the way they do it and they don't want you to do it any differently, it's then to say, well, I could do it your way. Um, you know, what exactly is the way that you would like me to do it? And then can I show you some variations that may save us some time or money? Because when you do it that way, it's not as threatening. Because at the end of the day, right, yeah. if it's a managerial position, you are as good as your team. It's just they're not thinking that way. They actually want to protect their team and say, well, if I do it, my whole team will look good. But perhaps the team may be able to offer some benefit. So it's really being comfortable to bring it up and start to talk about it. Yeah, and having the awareness, I, I think you're right, that a lot of times it does deal I, – I find it more often that they're being controlling because they're insecure. I suppose sometimes there's um, – I don't know, just for the sake of controlling. But to me, it always seems like there's a fear, insecurity, or some kind of paranoia behind that. And if you can somehow... Usually there is. Yeah. Yeah, we, we label that in the book, uh, in both books, actually, as the head trash cocktail. It's, yeah, it's right. very common to find two um, colliding and forming the real problem. Arrogance and insecurity. Someone who's insecure is going to come across in an arrogant way to hide the fact they don't want you to know that they don't know anything, right, right? Right, Or someone who is controlling is masked by being arrogant. So if I don't talk to you or let you into what I know and always make all the decisions, you'll never know that I'm controlling everything. So there are ways that there are combinations, and it's just, you know, one of the things you have to dig a little deeply into when you're looking at understanding somebody else's head trash or your own is what's the real root cause? And it's the biggest question you have to ask yourself. What is that thing that's really bothering me? Because if you can uncover that, you may be closer to what is the real issue than what you perceive. Yeah. For example, we have an index called the Head Trash Index that you can go to our website. It's headtrash911.com. It's headtrash and the numbers 911.com. There is a free online index, 28 questions, about 10 minutes to complete. Instantly, you get back a one-page PDF that gives you your head trash to seven with the numerical scoring. And it starts to allow you to see which of the ones, by the way you described yourself and the way you do things, are potential head trash situations. And I bring this up because when I did mine, I had my thoughts about where mine would be. And when my head trash score came out, it was very different. Because it was things that I had assumed were one thing and they weren't. I figured I would have had either a little arrogance or control because being an entrepreneur, some of those traits you must have, right. even if it's to a fault. There are things you manage. But my head trash was actually anger and guilt. Really? And the funny thing on the anger, it was because I find that no isn't something I like to hear in business or personal if it's against what I want to hear. And I have to immediately tell you that. So I would have been working on arrogant, you know, therapy or control therapy. And what I really should be working on is my ability not to, you know, immediately form judgment and have to respond. I've got to pause, take a step back, and think about my answer. So the solution for each of the seven head trashes will vary. And it's really important that you figure out which ones are the real root cause for you which is why we recommend people taking the index because it will help you figure that out. Well, I love it. I'll have links to this. I think this is a great book because, again, at the end of the day, if you're going to succeed or are going to advance your leadership um, journey, 
you have to be number one, self-aware. And then as you get into the transformational space, you have to be able to realize and have that emotional quotient, exercise that muscle. So you know how to deal with people who have the same head trash that you do, you know, or at least, or maybe has head trash and how do you deal with it effectively? That's what I think is so great about the book. And so it came out. Well, thank you. And I- yeah. So it just came out a couple weeks ago, the beginning of April. Um, again, I think it's a, I might have to get the first one. I'd like to read these back to back, but, um, I think it's good for any leader who's wants to look at how emotions like anger, fear, guilt, paranoia get in the way and stop us from uh, leading that life of significance. So congratulations on the book. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. How can people get in touch with you? I know you, and I'll have links to head trash 911, but how else can people reach out to you and find out more about you and your work? Well, Tish at um, HeadTrash911.com is the exact Head Trash version. Uh, and Tim's would be Tim at HeadTrash911.com. Tim Thomas and I co-authored both books. We work together as consultants, uh, working with people, strategies, and company scaling and having tons of head trash. And both of us have our consulting businesses. So mine is Tish at Candor, C-A-N-D-O-R-Consulting.com which is, again, services around getting people to make good, solid business leadership decisions, which is, you know, hence where Head Trash came from. We started to see with our clients and our companies that this is a very common theme and natural. So it's no one doesn't have it. It's relevant in almost every setting, and it's something we actually should have, which is emotion. We just wanted to make sure we gave people a little insight around what a blind spot could look like with your emotions and how do you make sure you manage through it. Great stuff, Tish. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, again, thanks for uh, coming on Dose of Leadership. You always got a welcome home here. By the way, welcome, man. I hope to, that I reach out to, to people listening and it changes how they thought about something because that was really the whole goal of writing both books is to give people an opportunity to just revisit what they're doing, think about it differently, and then act on it. Well said. Tish, thanks for coming on the show. Have a great day. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.